0: It's not enough for me to just make a product because I have an audience. I want to make the best freaking product. And I want my products to have the same level of value and like good, delicious things that my recipes do so that you don't, you know, cook a recipe and it turns out great. You buy a product and you're like, this is garbage. Like that would be such a, such a breaking of trust to me that it would like ruin my whole day.
1: this episode, I talked to Susie Bullock, who runs Hey Grill Hey, which started as a food blog that became wildly successful to the tune of a million dollars or more a year in revenue. And then she did something that I just absolutely love. And that is she used that to kickstart a physical products company, a sauces and rubs company in the barbecue space. And I'm just blown away with what she's been doing. And she just got on a cool journey. She's used the revenue from all of our digital products to fund building this, what's going to be a massive physical product company. So I talk about this a lot in the billion dollar creator, which is an article I wrote a few years ago about how an audience is incredibly powerful. And you should think about where you point that, where you direct that attention, what's the highest ROI. And Susie and I recently met and I was just realizing like, she's living it out. That the article that I written she hadn't even read it, but she's living it out in real time. That's how she's building her company. And she's building something absolutely massive. So I think you're going to love this interview. Let's dive in. Susie, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Okay. So for some quick context, we met at tastemakers, which is a food blogging conference. Is it always in Chicago? This is my first time going there.
0: The first couple of years, it was in different places, okay. and it's been in Chicago the last three. I think it will indefinitely be in Chicago now, though, because it's paired with the International Home and Hardware show, which happens in Chicago every spring.
1: I love it. It was, it was a super fun event, and I met a ton of people. But one thing that you and I immediately started like jamming on and just <laughs> completely nerding out on is how to take an audience and really point that attention to something that you're building meaningful equity in. I wrote this article Listeners heard me talk about a bunch called The Billion Dollar Creator. And as we were talking, I was like, you're doing it. Like, here's someone who <laughs> <I'm> is, <trying. laughs> Yeah. Like, you see that playbook. I was immediately like, okay, you have to come on the podcast. We have to talk about this. Because we have these examples of people who are all the way down the path, right? Or they're, they're celebrities or they've done something at this level, you know, like Ryan Reynolds playing this out with Aviation Gin or he actually just right. sold Mint Mobile.
0: I saw that for however many billions of dollars.
1: I think 1.3. I tweeted about that. And some people were like, oh, but you know, he only owns 25%. And I was like,
0: are you going to crap on 25% (laughs) of $1.3 billion? Like what level are you living at where that's a problem?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I got a good good laugh out of that. But I think people see (laughs) these giant examples or they they see it in theory. And what I want to talk through with you is in practice, right? Because you're, Figuring this out and implementing it right now. So maybe as we dive in, why don't you give the rundown on what Hey Grill Hey is? Then when we'll we'll do a quick bit on how you started, and then dive in of you know where we're going.
0: Yeah, Hey Grill Hey is a business. That's what we're gonna start with. Yep. <laughs> because in the past, I would have told you Hey Grill Hey was a food blog, and that was you know our main focus. But like you said, we're kind of in a transitional period right now. So it is a food blog. We have a great audience online. We have a subscription platform that we built as kind of this beneficiary like partner called the Grill Squad, which is like a recurring yearly subscription to an online barbecue school and community. So there's kind of an educational aspect to it. And we have a line of barbecue seasonings and sauces that are sold internationally right now, which is pretty cool. Yeah, those are kind of the three main like pieces of our business, the content side of the business, the subscription side of the business and the, the product side of the business.
1: How long have you been running the site?
0: I started Hey Grill Hey, just over eight years ago.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: But I've been working in the online content creation space for almost 14 since the early, early days of blogs. Yeah. I worked from home raising tiny kids and writing content for an online deal and coupon blogger. So I learned what WordPress looked like from the back end and how to create content. And when she sold her site for a million dollars, I thought I would die. I couldn't fathom that somebody was able to write about something on the internet that they were passionate about and share things that they just personally were excited about. Like, look at these cute shoes that I got for 58% off and turn that into a business that was valued at seven figures. So that was kind of my first introduction before I ever even started Hey Grill Hey to what blogging as a business could look like. And that was... a. Long time ago.
1: <laughs> yeah. When was it that you were working for her and, and she sold the site?
0: I started working for her in 2008. And I think she sold the site in like 2012, 2013. So it was like early days.
1: Yep. Oh, I mean, a million dollar exit. It yeah. was
0: 2009 that I started working for her. But still, it was, it was really uh, early in the space.
1: Yeah. I'm just thinking, like, I started following the space about the same time, 2008, 2009 coming from the web design world, you know, yeah. and learning everything there. But even going into like 2011, 2012, like some of the biggest sites on the internet were 20,000 subscribers. Like, yeah, I mean, a, a million dollar exit for a blog in
0: was huge.
1: That I mean, that's incredible.
0: I know it was incredible.
1: So when you think about that, did that make you immediately go, okay, I have to start my own thing or?
0: Oh, my wish. (laughs) (laughs) No, it made me say, I know how much work it takes because I know what she put in to run it. Oh yeah. Like, I don't think I have the skills. I don't think I have the time. I don't think I have the ability. And instead of looking at her and saying, well, why not me? I looked at her and saying, said, I could never. Mm. So I actually talked myself out of starting my own anything for a really long time. And I kind of bounced around from working for her for several years to working for a company that put on races like the 5k color powder throwing races. I did their social media and email. So I kind of got a little bit of background in the space, helping them manage their social media and engagement online. And I also spent several years, kind of both of those jobs parlayed me into a job for a grill manufacturing company who wanted to digitize their library of recipes. Because at the time when you bought a grill or a smoker, they just handed you like an old spiral bound little like laminated book of like, here are 15 things that you can cook on your new grill, but beyond that best wishes because there weren't a ton of resources online, specifically in the barbecue and grilling space at the time. There were forums, but there really was only like maybe one website and several cookbooks and a couple of TV shows that were dedicated to the art of barbecue and grilling. So the resources were just really limited. So when I got this job and they said, you know, digitize this library of content, and then we want you to start making new recipes to live on the site. I I had no no depth of understanding of what this wood-fired barbecue world looked like. I just knew how to create content online and I really loved food and cooking. <laughs> and so they dropped a wood-fired grill and smoker off on my porch and said, "Good luck. We just need five recipes a week starting Monday. We can't wait to see what you come up with. This is going to be so fun for you." So that's how I found myself in in the world of barbecue online content creation right. was actually writing for another company. And after I think I had been working for other companies at that point for like six years, five to six years, I finally went, okay, maybe I have garnered enough skills. Maybe I have put in enough time working for other people and seeing what they're building. And I would see the traffic that was going to these barbecue and grilling posts. And just, it blew my mind how much desire there was for this type of content and how little supply was available. And a ton of the stuff that was being written Assumed a lot. I don't know if you've ever cooked from one of your grandma's three by five recipe cards.
1: No, it assumes so much.
0: It assumes you know so much. It's like a pinch of this, a dash of that, enough of this to make it look like whatever. And the recipes, because they had to be written in shorthand, because you had to fit mm-hmm. 14 steps on a three by five card, left a lot out. And that was so true with barbecue recipes. Every barbecue recipe I read, I'm like. What are they even talking about? Like they're saying words I don't know, they're using terminology I'm not familiar with, and they're writing recipes that don't make sense because I've never used this medium before. So I learned a lot about writing bad recipes and cooking from bad recipes and and how to write good ones. And you know, finally after all of these years of working for other people and kind of accumulating all of these little you know, skills from around the world. I found myself with no job because all the jobs that I like that one company that did the deal sold, I left the company that was doing social media. So it was taking so much of my time and this grill manufacturing company decided I'd been working from home. They decided to bring everything in house. And I didn't want to like commute or, you know, like they, they just grew, which is like good for them, I guess, whatever. But I was without a job. And my husband said, you know, you have an opportunity here to do nothing if you would like, because he had kind of built up his professional career as a CPA to the point where his income could sustain us. uh, So we could live off of a single income. It would be lean, but we could make it work. He said, or you could, you know, choose." something and and build something if you wanted to. So if you could do anything, what would you do? And I was like, barbecue recipes. Like I loved, I fell in love with it so much. Yeah, I loved the process of recipe testing. I loved the wood fired cooking community, like the barbecue community. People call it a barbecue family because they show up for each other and you know, like full happy people everywhere. Like they're just, so happy, because they eat so good and they cook for other people, barbecue really is like a community meal yeah. kind of experience, you know like you're not just making a salad or soup like you're making a whole rack of ribs or a full 14 right. pound brisket like people are coming over, and I just loved that aspect of barbecue specifically and I loved writing recipes for these people, especially women in the space that had maybe been intimidated by it before because of all the terminology and because of all the things that they were supposed to know that they didn't know that nobody told them about. I saw an opportunity in the space to provide content that I knew people already wanted because I was seeing the response from recipes I was already writing. And I felt a little bit of a calling to be a representative of women in the barbecue and grilling space because we were out there. There was just less representation, you know. You would see a TV show and there'd be one for every twelve dudes or something. There, there just wasn't a ton of representation. But I knew a lot of women were cooking barbecue at home, so I wanted to be a little bit of a, a face for that. Which is why I, I, you know, I kind of personally branded things from the beginning where it was Susie telling you how to cook stuff because I wanted to have that connection and I wanted to build that community. So. That's how it all started. I love it. That's kind of where it where it all came from.
1: <laughs> I think a lot of creators have that like transition moment that you have of maybe seeing it and getting a taste of it. Right. Where something happens that yeah. you see is ridiculous. Like it breaks your mental model. Right. You can't sell a blog for a million dollars that does not fit in the mental model of like yeah. growing up. People are like, What do you want to be? You know, do you want to be a firefighter? Do you wanna be a chef? You know, like
0: Right. No, I want to make a living writing barbecue recipes for the internet. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what I want to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so you see something that like breaks your mental model and it, it's often how much someone is earning, you know, like, hold on, you can make a hundred thousand yeah. dollars a year off of that, or you could sell this for a million dollars or, or you have this flexibility in your time. Like, wait, you don't have to show up in person to this office, you know, or you can make school pickup and it's not like this crazy stressful thing, you know, like any of those things. But then there, there is a big. There's still a leap from realizing that it's possible from an example and like actually being able to make that, you know, jump for yourself or thinking that you could do it.
0: Well, to believe that it's possible for you. Right. Right. Because anything's possible for other people. (laughs) Like you can look at somebody that had this massive success and you'd be like, oh, well, that that totally makes sense. Like I could never because that's where I was those first five years was like, I mean, I get it, but I don't know. I don't know like, I know it's possible, but I don't think it's possible for me. So that was a really transitional point to where I, you know, and it did take a little bit of encouragement. And luckily, I had the privilege of having a spouse at home Mm -hmm. that said, you know, this is your opportunity. Do you think you can make something of it? And so it set that precedent really early that I was going to do it because I was passionate about it. But I also was going to do it because I believed I could make money from it. So there really was that transitional moment of going from I believe it's possible to. I believe it's possible for me.
1: Do you think that it just took time? Like, is there anything that would have accelerated that? Or, you know, just seeing more examples of it and working in the industry more, I guess the industry being content creation more so than maybe barbecue specifically?
0: I think seeing the content creation side of it helped a lot from the back end. I think it gave me a foot in the door because people, you know, my blog took off within two years. It was pretty successful. Within two and a half, I'd retired my husband and was covering all of our, and we were hiring employees, which yep. is like pretty rapid in the oh, yeah. world of food blogging. And so people say, how did you, oh my gosh, how did you do it so fast? You just started in, you know, 2015. How? But nobody was counting the years before that I started in 2009. Right. Right where I saw what content creation looked like from the back end, where I saw what social media looked like, where I saw what the recipe development process looked like. Like I had banked five years of skills Mm -hmm. before I started my own website. And I think that was really crucial to my quick success on my own website. It was all the work that went in beforehand. And I really think that that gave me a lot of confidence to jump in on my own. I also think it gave my husband a lot of confidence to say, I think you can make something of this because we've seen people do it and you have skills and you're capable and you're terrifyingly driven. So if anybody can pull it off, like probably you and, you know, having somebody else say you probably can was, I I think it was a big deal to me Mm -hmm. and not just it spinning around in my head. Like, could I, could I, could I having kind of a little bit of that, that validation from both experience and a support team that said, you know, I think you can pull it off. It it really helped me a lot.
1: Yeah, I think what you said about like seeing it from the inside makes a huge yeah. difference. Because we're watching all of these blogs and 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 we see maybe the highlights of what gets posted on Instagram or, you know, a post that goes viral. But if you're working behind the scenes, then you actually get to see, okay, what is this creator optimizing for? What metrics do they track? Yeah. What's their writing process? I was thinking about another creator's name's Jay Klaus, and he's had this like fantastic rise. He talks publicly about his income numbers. I think he's making, you know, two hundred fifty dollars or $300,000 a year off of, you know, still a, a, like not a huge audience. But if I think about his career, he worked for Pat Flynn. And so, you know, he's seeing, like he was running the community for Pat Flynn, right? And you get to see behind the scenes, you get to learn. Yep. And so even that approach of like, okay, yes, I absolutely could dive in. And maybe I'm going to do that. Maybe I'm going to start my blog and publish once a month and, or once a week and like get this cadence going. But at the same time, I'm going to try to go get a job working for someone, either freelance right. or on the core team, because you can learn so much looking behind the scenes.
0: And, you know, it's really interesting. Now, a lot of change has occurred in the trajectory of our next generation's career paths. You know, all the kids want to be YouTubers or whatever the case may be. But the reality is that four-year college degrees are not carrying the same like, clout yeah, for these kids as they did for our generation. And, you know, I've told my kids, like, I don't really care what you do, but because they all want to be entrepreneurs now. Like, it sounds okay. like, like, oh, you just are home when we're home and you get to cook food. Like, I would like, that sounds like a great job for me. You know, they don't, they don't know what I do during the day, I guess, because they're at school living their own lives, But it is kind of this like idyllic scenario. So I think it's incredibly valuable to actually peek behind the curtain. And not just, I mean, you're going to learn either way, whether you just buy the URL and start doing crap. like I like to say I got a degree from the University of Google in food blogging because I was like, how do I write a post? Like everything. There's a huge learning curve, regardless of when you start or how much experience you have. At some point, you're going to have to make the leap, right? But having that little background of knowledge, even just working part-time from home for those couple of years while I was raising my babies gave me a sense of confidence And, you know, a sense of background knowledge and a sense of scope, I could see what things could become and what kind of monetizing a space in this wild, wild west of the Internet actually looked like.
1: Yeah. So on that monetization, if we're talking about a food blog, there's some traditional ways that I'd expect you to monetize advertising. Number one, some level of affiliate type for other products, and then definitely some of your own digital products, maybe a membership, that kind of thing. That's yeah. what I would yep. 100% expect. And it sounds like you built out a bunch of those. Can you talk about like maybe the first first million dollars in, in revenue? Because you built it to a pretty wild scale.
0: Honestly, I feel like I tried everything. Because my goal from the beginning was to build this into a business. I'm like, well, how do people make money on the internet? I so I've probably typed that into Google. Honestly, I was like, give me a list of 10 ways we make money on the internet, people. It was a process. So before I even qualified for ad revenue, because my traffic wasn't that significantly high, this was the dumbest thing. I literally started my website on March 9th, right as like March Madness kicked off. And this company that I had been writing recipes for before launched a campaign called Meat Madness, where there were meat brackets with recipes submitted, where you could submit your recipe and have it, voted on by the community to earn you up the bracket to win a cool prize or whatever. And I had submitted and got accepted one of my new recipes on my new website to, to be a part of this, you know, meat madness bracket. And I noticed there were several other prominent Utah's who had their names on this bracket. So I was like, this is a great PR opportunity. So I wrote an email. I didn't know what I was doing. I wrote an email to every single producer of every single local news station and lifestyle television show in Utah and said, look at all these cool Utahns. Here's a link to the bracket. You should have us all on for a segment. One of them got back to me. By the time they got back to me, I was the only one left in the bracket, which was a relief because I realized I didn't know any of these other Utahns, nor how I would contact them to get all of us on television together. I just thought there's a story here. One of them emailed me back and invited me to be on their television show to come do a cooking segment, which I was terrified of. I bottle dyed my hair bright red, like grocery store, <laughs> Ariel from Little Mermaid Red okay. the night before my segment. I invited my friends over with timers and notepads so they could give me feedback on my five-minute television segment. And I showed up and I did that segment. My husband was in the audience and he turned to my brother and he was like, who is she? Like, I transformed in that moment to a person who was incredibly qualified to do television where I had no prior experience. It was magical, to be quite honest with you. And I was like, okay, how do I make this part of my revenue experience? So I was actually able to parlay that into paid cooking gigs for brands. Wow. I also pushed that into paid television appearances. I've been on the Food Network several times. I had my own special on the Food Network. And so, you know, we had some really cool opportunities that way that was a little bit outside the traditional food blogger revenue model. But that was one avenue that I generated income without an audience and without a brand. I just would go talk about your brand on the television every once in a while. And it, it turned out to be kind of a great jump start for me because within the first month, I had an offer for a brand for $500 to do a five-minute segment. And I was like, that's real money. Like <laughs> yeah. That is cash money within a month. And I was not making any money anywhere else. And I had no idea how to but that was like that just a really quick and early boost, a vote of confidence that like, this is an avenue that you can pursue. And there's a way that you can generate revenue from this particular business Mm -hmm. model. So that was a really cool, like kind of first moment of like, here's how you made your first not even first million. That was my first 500 bucks. And it felt like a million dollars, I will tell you, it felt like a million dollars to be able to make Money off of this thing that I love doing. And then, you know, as traffic built, we did see money coming in from advertising revenue on the website. We did a year of a lot of sponsored work because Mm -hmm. that at the time was a really great source of revenue for us. And brands were really hungry for diversity in the barbecue and grilling space. That was a time where being a female and standing out from the crowd and being different and Having the creation aspect of the business behind me was really beneficial because I had a good audience online. I had a good platform to build on and I could develop recipes for other companies and post about them and got paid. I also took side jobs developing recipes for companies like I did before I even started my own website. And I did that for a while until I realized, okay, I can make more if I just post them on my own site. But it took a while to get to that point, to build up traffic to where you know your recipes are more valuable to your own site than they are to somebody else's because they were paying me money to put recipes on their website. So that was an early source of revenue. We did two eBooks that were an early source of revenue for us. And then I think it was almost three years into Hey Grill Hey existing that we launched the Grill Squad, which is our online subscription platform. And then we've been running the product company for the last four years. So it was like four-ish years of you know just that online and digital content stuff before we actually launched our first product.
1: Okay, I want to talk about the, the products a lot, but do you get, you get a sense of scale? Like, what did you grow revenue to from the d- digital side
0: in the last couple years? It's averaged about one point. Five to 1.75 million in ad revenue. That's amazing. Which is like stupid. It feels like the most unbelievably stupid joke.
1: But that's leverage, right? <laughs> you built like an audience has incredible leverage. Yeah. And we'll get into that more. But yes. But yeah, I mean, you built it to the point where you're making a year from just the digital side of your business, what that like mind blowing experience was of selling an entire site one time.
0: Yeah, it makes me sick to my stomach when I stop and think about it. So I just don't very often.
1: (laughs) Why does it make you sick to your stomach?
0: (laughs) Because, so I had some really crazy goals when I first started, right? And it was like certain benchmarks, like I'm going to make this much by the time I'm this many years old. And when the site is, you know, you have to, like, you kind of set these goals for yourself. And then I would hit them and I'd be like, so I think I, I think I just quit now. Like I didn't have, I didn't have like an after plan. (laughs) I just had this number and it was so hard to get there that when I got there I was like, now what? Like I just did it? I don't know now what? So it's always <laughs> make a make a plan for after people if you do actually hit your goals because that was a little bit of like a shock moment for me where I had to reevaluate all of my all of my goals.
1: What's an example of one of those goals and then like what you ended up doing afterwards?
0: I just moved the goalpost. Honestly, yeah. that's 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 what I keep doing every single time. Every goal that we've hit, every benchmark that we've passed, we take a minute and I sit on it and I reflect back and I look at what it took to get us where we are, the things that were worth it and the things that weren't worth it and where we want to go next. But I think it's good to have benchmarks, even if you don't have the backup plan ahead of time, because when you hit them, it's it's always forced me into a period of reflection. And a period of pause and saying, okay, this is where we are. This is how we got here. It's Mm -hmm. absolutely unbelievable and weird and hilarious. And I just let myself be filled with all of the gratitude of hitting that accomplishment and you know, the team that is now that we have built that has got us to that point and the audience that has supported us through this journey and feeling the gratitude for the business really is the most like reinvigorating part because it's hard and it's exhausting and it's a lot of work and to be able to stop and sit with it for a minute is really awesome before, you know, we set our sights on on the next thing.
1: I think that's something that my wife and I realized maybe three or four years ago that we're really bad at like celebrating and recognizing yes. like that, that moment to pause and reflect. And so now we make sure to at least do like, yeah, you know, a nice dinner or something. Cause we'd hit some milestone. Like I remember hitting $10 million a year in revenue for ConvertKit. Yeah. Right. And being like, Oh, that's amazing. You know, it's a big goal. Like it tips over and you hit that. You know, like, and then now we got
0: on to the next,
1: hold on. Yes. Let's go like, have, have some friends over for dinner. Let's, you know, open a bottle of champagne. Let's at least do something.
0: We've started scheduling things like we tie specific things now to our benchmarks. Oh, I like that. So when we hit this next revenue goal, we have a specific trip that like has been on our bucket list forever. I'm like, could we afford to go right now? Sure. Yeah. Probably. But having it mean something and have it on the board as like, this is the celebratory event for right. that goal. Has been really awesome for us. So, we just did one on my 35th birthday. We had a revenue goal on my 35th birthday. That was like a big thing I had in my mind. Like, I need to hit this much money and I need to have, like, I'm going to be on a beach, I'm going to be drinking a cold beverage, <laughs> and it's going to be my birthday and I'm going to have made this much money. And I didn't know. My husband is actually, like I said, he came from an accounting background. He was a CPA in his prior corporate life. So, I didn't know. I knew I was close, but I didn't know if I had actually hit the number or not. And he's like, I'll look at it. And I'm like, don't tell me. Like, if I made it, you're allowed to tell me when we're there. But if I didn't make it, we just never speak of it again. Because I don't want it <laughs> to ruin the trip for me. Because the trip was booked. We were going anyway. Yep. Because I knew we were close. But it'll, it'll be stuck in my mind forever. We were literally on a boat in the ocean. And he handed me our like our P&L, our profit and loss statement. And I had, I had eked over it by like six figures, which seems like a lot, but it was a very big number. Yep. So it was like a little bit smaller in the overall scale. And it was a huge moment. It was a huge moment to stop and to celebrate and to acknowledge what we had actually accomplished and what we had built. And to be able to share that together was really cool. So I highly recommend... Even if your goal is I got up 10 new posts this month, like make celebrating those accomplishments a part of the journey, because otherwise you'll always be looking at what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next. next. It makes the process a lot more enjoyable. It makes growing not just a number on a screen, but it has purpose and it has meaning and it should be celebrated.
1: I got into sailing a few years ago and so we, we did a big sailing trip to Belize and that was like, you know, after like once we hit a a certain milestone that I've been working towards for a long time, then we're, you know, going and celebrating with that. So yeah, I love that idea. Okay. So you've done something with the business. I mean, at first you've built like just an amazingly successful food blog and then like to a level beyond what (laughs) most creators ever do. And then you've, In the way, like, did you call yourself freakishly driven? What was the terminology that you
0: used? (laughs) I think terrifyingly driven is the terminology that I used.
1: Is that a quote from like a family member or?
0: (laughs) Probably, honestly, yes. It's probably been written in a birthday card somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Happy birthday. We're so glad to know you. You are terrifyingly driven.
1: (laughs) Something else. Yeah.
0: Something, something. Yeah.
1: Right. It'd be pretty easy to at that point say, hey, okay, well, let's run this on autopilot. You know, maybe let's scale it back. Throw a little four-hour week action in here and do something different. Sure. And you and I share some of this like terrifyingly driven aspect, and in I think there's also just a curiosity of like, okay, well, if I can do that, can I, like, can I do this next level? And so I like I have this goal of trying to build a business to 100 million in revenue. You know, how to like if we can get it here and then I, I think I can get it there and I want to work on really big hard things people talk about moving the goalposts and that's usually in a negative term of like oh there you know he just moved the goalposts so he can't ever be happy you know it's like no no no, this is the game that we're playing so I'm curious for you as you like achieve one level what did it mean to like set the the sites so much bigger
0: so my husband and I have opposing personalities in all aspects but he is definitely like we did it. Let's kick it. Like we did the thing, you know, like you don't have to work this hard.
1: My wife is the same (laughs) way.
0: I think I'm so fortunate to have that personality be my balance. But his most valuable personality trait to me personally, as a terrifyingly (laughs) driven person is that he asks me why all of the Mm -hmm. time, like, well, I want to do this. Why? Well, and I'll give a reason. He'd be like, really like you don't need that thing and i'm like well no but i want it and he just keeps asking why until we really get to the heart of the matter and in that journey of him asking there was a lot of self discovery and a lot of things that were uncovered and the reality is i love building stuff in addition to me loving the actual like nuts and bolts of building this thing i also have learned that people operate at different levels of stress, which kind of becomes their comfort level. My husband and I have very different levels of stress that we're comfortable operating at. And I actually tend to operate at a higher, I I feel better, I feel more accomplished, I feel more clarity, I feel more at peace when I have kind of these moving parts that I get to pay attention to, and that I get to work on. And when it's stuff that I actually love doing, it's like, the the skies open up and I, you know, I could do this forever. That's the level of stress that I feel comfortable at. So even when like I have tried to intentionally like scale back and intentionally take more time off or, you know, let my foot off the gas, I'm less happy. I'm less satisfied. I'm less clear and there's less personal fulfillment in my life. So I find myself you know pushing on the gas again and and bringing a little bit more onto my plate because it is it's more comfortable for me in that period of introspection and in that reflection literally last week my husband and I had this conversation and we made some transitions in the business where we're removing stuff from his plate and putting it on mine and he's kind of taking some other things that leave me less fulfilled mm-hmm. and and carrying that banner whether it's at home with the kids and family or whether it's in the business it's this constant reshuffling and rebalancing to where we're both operating at the points of the most like comfort and ease and joy with the level of stress that we're carrying. So it's not that he's necessarily carrying less stress, but he's carrying things that are less stressful for him. But they're super stressful for me. Like I will forget about signing the kids up for baseball because it's like, it will slip my mind. I guarantee it. But like, he's, he's happy and he loves carrying that, you know, like, this is, this is the best. I'm like, okay, fantastic. Because I would rather build out projections for sales through the end of the year. And he's like, pass, like hard pass. You know, like I said, anyway, he's a great balance for me specifically, but it really is just finding the things that I love to do. And it, it's terrifying to people outside of the space because they see all the balls in the air and they're like, I could never. I know because I was there when I started working for other people and I was like, I could never, but you know, having found myself in this space and still pushing myself further into the space, it's, it's just what feels good. It's what feels right. It's what feels like joyful and fulfilling to me. So it doesn't feel hard.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, well, I mean, first what you're saying about having someone in your life who will ask a few layers of the why questions, Mm -hmm. Because I do the same thing, where I'm like, because of this, and and a lot of people just be like, oh, okay, that's fine. But having someone's yeah. like, really, that's that's why, and making you dig through, you know, several layers of that is good. Yes. What's next? What's the goal that you're scaling towards? Because you you have these products that you're getting in grocery stores. You've got so yeah. the the sauces and rubs, and and you're like, where is this business going? Because it's going to be like a hundred times bigger than the massive blog that you've already built.
0: <laughs> so this ties heavily into your article like about the billion, billion dollar creator is, you know, I was able to build a really great audience on the website and kind of use that to fund my own product company. And, you know, you, you talk in your article about how products you, you have, like at some point you have to sell a product. And I started training my audience really early. It's It's interesting, this creator transition, not a lot of people talk about it because all they want to talk about is how you have this built-in audience that loves you and they'll buy anything you put out there. It's a little bit different in a lot of ways because we have trained our audiences to get things for free, articles for free, videos for free, content for Mm -hmm. free, information for free, 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 free. Come, just come read my website and come you know, watch me on social media and thank you so much for being here. And there is a transaction of time, but not money. And so making the transition from... Somebody who is giving you a lot of free things in exchange for your time now want to give you real things in exchange for real money. And building that level of trust with a community is different. It takes a little bit of time and it takes a little bit of work. And we, we very intentionally built our product company knowing that it was going to take us a little while. We didn't expect overnight success, which I think has been really crucial to us having long-term success because we didn't get let down or disappointed when things didn't explode immediately or we you know all these all of these things we slowly got to build this transactional relationship with our audience that has been really special and really cool because there is that level of trust and i feel like the relationship's actually deepened when it becomes a little bit more of that like hard transaction versus just time for information right so it's been really cool to witness and really cool to build we're in a transitional period this is one where i i told you right before our phone call like i'm in the middle of it so i don't know that i'm like i can't speak as an expert on how to do this thing or the right way to do this thing because we're making all of the mistakes as we go and learning as best as we can but we are growing our product company in a way that feels really authentic it feels really well tied to the relationships we've already built with our community and our audience but what's next is to continue growing that so for me as ceo and owner it's learning how to scale a product company which i've never had to do before and have no experience doing it's learning how to manage a team of really talented really smart incredibly creative people and letting them do what they're best at instead of putting a monopoly on all parts of the business because i'm the one that started it and It's scary. It's learning how to be a business owner and to make hard decisions and make fast decisions and and also hold on to the accountability of making wrong decisions. So that's what I feel like is next. (laughs) It's just like all learning all of the things.
1: That's what's coming.
0: Yeah. But the goal is like you, a hundred million dollar company. And I don't know how long it's going to take me to get there. Hopefully not the rest of my life, but I'm ready to put the work in and put the time in because I feel really passionate about the products that we've created. It's not enough for me. And this is, this is part of it too, that I think has really built the trust with our audience. It's not enough for me to just make a product because I have an audience. I want to make the best freaking product. And I want my products to have the same level of value and like good, delicious things that my recipes do. So that you don't, you know, cook a recipe and it turns out great. You buy a product and you're like, "This is garbage!" Like that would be such a, such a breaking of trust to me that it would like ruin my whole day. So we focus really hard. We our products, we submit them. We've won several awards for our products because they stand up and they stand out and they're and they're good stuff. So that takes a lot of time and a lot of focus. But when you talked about grocery, that's a big one for us, and it's kind of ad- adjacent to the reason that I first started. <laughs> the blog in the first place eight years ago was if you walk down a store aisle that sells barbecue sauce or barbecue seasonings how many women-owned brands do you see on that shelf
1: i think very few any
0: no you <laughs> i mean you hear Ray's, dubs Hughes, Dave's. like all of them are dudes yep. they're all dudes it's just <laughs> like the online the digital landscape or the you know the the television representation or the public representation of women right. 10 years ago, like we're just behind in the product space. And we shouldn't be because I know some really amazing women that are creating killer products and and need that representation on these grocery store shelves. So that's one of my goals is to make some space on the grocery store for women-owned barbecue sauces and seasonings. So anyway, that's that's kind of one of our big vision goals, but through the process to, you know, to build out that hundred million dollar company and if I ever make it that would be amazing if I don't hey man at least I tried
1: (laughs) (laughs) and you had a good time in the process
0: and enjoyed the process truly
1: we talk about that a lot at ConvertKit of journey over the destination and making sure that the journey is structured in a way that you're really going to enjoy it I think physical products of any kind feel so much more intimidating to creators than something digital Like an ebook, totally. I know how to write. That's blog posts, all of that. I know how to work with a designer to package that up and sell it, you know, all that. But hold on, someone's going to ingest this (laughs) or they're like, I'm gonna have to manufacture this.
0: Oh, oh, that's actually terrifying. (laughs) Yes, yes. We're making a food product.
1: Like how do you, if if you were talking to someone who's like, hey, I've got 50,000 subscriber email list. You know, I'm in this space. I'm about to make this leap. I understand the principles of the billion dollar creator. I know that I have to build you know, build something that I have equity and I'm selling a, like a real product, building a brand, all of that. Like, what would you say to them? And, and what are some of those things that you learned early in that process of making that digital to physical leap?
0: Oh my gosh. I might not say anything, not because I don't want them to get in the space, but because if I knew all that went into it, I probably would have talked myself out of it. Right? Yeah. Truly. If I knew all of the potential pitfalls, if somebody had sat me down and said, okay, you're going to do this, but you got to go in with eyes wide open. Here's the 12 things that could go wrong. Here are the difficulties you're going to face. You're going to learn about cash flow and POs and unfulfilled orders and damaged shipping. And like, I'd be like, pass. I'm going to stick to eBooks. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd probably just be like, best wishes. Call me when it gets hard and I'll talk you through it. But I don't think there's any way to properly prepare someone for the journey of manufacturing product, is it worth it? I would tell you at the end of the day, like go for it. I would never talk you out of it. But what mm-hmm. I'm saying is I would have talked myself out of it because it's just like in the early days of working for other creators and seeing from the inside, like, oh, this is hard. Like right. it's possible for you, but not for me because I don't have that skill set. I probably would have done the exact same thing with products. So I'm kind of glad that I didn't have a full understanding of the scope of the work that it would take because I was able to jump in and figure it out and just you'd be like, we're in it now we're making it work, baby. And I'm, I'm glad that that was the attitude that I had going into it. And, you know, products for us too. I will say one thing before you get started is make sure your product fills a need. And don't just make product to make product because even specifically in the barbecue rub and sauce space, I've seen a lot of creators blow up on social media and then, well, the next thing is you make a product, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's just the next thing you do. But it wasn't that anybody even really wanted it. And so their product line fizzles out after six months because they realize how much work and how much overhead and, and all of these things that go into it. I've seen it in the food blogging space also. You know, they were told, you know, if just 1% of your audience buys a product that you have online, you could make 250000 a month. That's crazy because the volume numbers were so high. But it, like... Maybe nobody wanted your cheese board with tiny cheese knife, Brenda, that you just sourced and put and white labeled and put your name on. You know, product for the sake of product, I feel like is a mistake. Product with purpose and product with intent, I think is probably the biggest piece of advice I would give. If somebody was saying, I'm ready to make the leap, I'm ready to get into product, and I would ask them like, okay, who's it helping? Like, why? And if their answer is, well, because I just need product to build out my business, I'd be like, back to the, I do the same thing my husband does to me. But why? Like, really, but why? And, you know, for our rub and sauce line, we actually put it off for two years longer than when we wanted to start. And it finally got to the point where we were getting daily requests from our audience. Because here's a weird thing about my rep, my products. All of my recipes are available on my website. Like they're not secret right. or proprietary. You can cook with my sweet rub today without ever buying a bottle. But we were getting requests like, hey, I'm making this a gallon at a time. And I would just love to have it in my fridge, please. And, you know, once we had those requests build up enough, we said, I guess we're doing this now. Product, I wanted to stay in the digital space forever. Product was not on our business trajectory at all. But we saw a need within our community. And they specifically asked for it. And I thought, this is something that I can, this is something that I can answer. That's how I ended up making barbecue sauces and seasonings when my recipes are available for free on the internet. Anyway, so that's what I would say. I would ask why, why are you making product? And, you know, you can find a winning product in your space regardless. I think if you take a little bit of time before you just start making something, just so that you can say you're making something, you'll have a better product that'll last you more in the long run. And anytime you have intent, anytime you can ask, like, this is the theme we come back to, why, 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 why? If you can drill down your intent and your purpose, it makes the hard days easier. It makes the hard work more worthwhile. And I can tell you when I get an email from somebody thanking me for the product that I've manufactured because it made their life easier or more delicious or their experience better, like it makes it so much more fulfilling because it filled its purpose. Right. And and that's been like the coolest part of having a product based business is is that kind of like the work equals the results. Which equals like that that fulfillment that we get to experience. It's really cool.
1: One thing that I think I'm picking up on in what you're saying is there's people who have an audience and they're trying to tack a product onto that. So they're they're basically saying, I have this opportunity, you know, I've got a hundred thousand people paying attention to what I do in this space. What could I sell to them? And so if you think about it, like it's ninety percent an audience and ten percent a product. And I think what you're saying is Well, I mean, you've talked about it, right? As you you introduce yourself, like you're you're building a product company. You've created an audience first. You have an audience to kickstart a product company. But if we look long term, you know, I don't know what the split is now revenue wise or that sort of thing. But long term, like everything how you run the business, if I understand correctly, is going to be ninety percent, ninety five percent product, and the content is just a distribution channel.
0: It's going to support the product, yeah, Yeah. and that's a huge a huge transition to make. And we're like at almost at that tipping point in the transition Mm. where the product company is going to start out earning the website, which is like, I think it might be this year. That would be really cool. If it's not this year, it will be next year. My business today is unrecognizable to the business that I started eight years ago. It's even unrecognizable to the business that I had five years ago before we started manufacturing products. Like the change is just so significant.
1: What What are some examples of that?
0: the focus of our entire team. I mean, we had writers and social media managers where the whole goal was to drive people to the website to check the recipes. That that entire goal has shifted.
1: To get ad revenue or to get yeah, you know, subscribers yes. or something like that.
0: Exactly. The goal now is to get people familiarized with our brand and familiarized with our product. So either that means that they're going to go online and order because they want to recreate the exact thing that they saw me cook online, or... When they walk by it in the grocery store, they say, oh my gosh. And we get this one. This one's also really cool, by the way. When people send us pictures from their local barbecue pro shop or Mm -hmm. their grocery store where we, you know, our products are carried and they, oh, oh my gosh, you're here in my store in my tiny town in Kansas. Like, that's like, you're here. To be able to have that type of experience is so cool. And they grab one of everything because it's, it's, I've seen this on the internet and it's here in real life. It's like those as seen on TV aisles at the checkout line (laughs) or something, but it's that same experience. Like I saw this, I saw this on the internet and it's real, it's here in real life. And that's a big way that our focus has shifted overall is the goal has shifted overall. And like I said, in the very beginning, if you had asked me a couple of years ago, I would have told you I was a food blog, right. a food blogger. That's, that's my business. If you ask me now, we're building a product company in the barbecue and grilling space. And it's a, it's a complete identity shift. It's it, when I first started, I told people it's like starting a second business because it was, we still had to keep the content side running at the same pace because our content business funded our product business entirely. Unbelievable. So cool.
1: Yeah. You haven't raised any outside capital, right? Oh, that's amazing. Because what you're doing is not cheap.
0: <laughs> no, it's very expensive and stupid.
1: The moment someone says like minimum order quantities, you know, like people who don't know are like, oh, okay. So you have to order like more of something, <laughs> you know, if, if you know, it's like,
0: yeah, like we just have to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's a journey for sure. But it was like two separate companies. We mm-hmm. had to keep this content side rolling wow, we are trying to build up this product company, product company, product company. And uh, just in the last couple of weeks, we've, like I said, we're in a transition period. We're about to tip the scales either this year or next year. And so our focus has tipped as well to where the long-term potential lies. And that really is in the product space for us. That might not be the case for everybody, but for us, I feel like that's, that's the future. And that's, That's where this business has the most opportunity to grow, because you're going to hit ceilings no matter what. If you're if you're niched down tight enough to where you can really talk to your audience directly, there's only so many of these people that you're going to be able to reach eventually. You know what I mean? Like you're gonna you're gonna cap out in one way or another. So finding those avenues where there's still potential is a big deal. And right now, that's where we see products. So
1: right, how's it been going from digital to retail? It sounds like you're fairly early in that process. Maybe first, what's the revenue split between online sales? I said digital. Uh, online sales. Uh, I knew what you meant. The, yeah, yeah. Sauces. Ecom
0: versus business to business, wholesale, retail, all yeah. of these terms that I had to Google again. Like, what are we talking about?
1: <laughs> you and me um, both were like, uh huh. <laughs> let me Google that really quick.
0: <laughs> all the freaking time Googling crap all the time. Yeah, I totally know what you're talking about. B2B, for sure there's so much terminology that you just don't know until you know. I think we're about 50/50 right now e-com to retail and it wasn't always that way and some companies never will be. Some companies stay directly, mm-hmm. you know, direct to consumer and that's their sweet spot. For me, like I said, one of my goals is more representation in the retail space specifically, yeah. so that's a that's a big focus for us and we actually have a couple of big partners that are coming on that'll probably tip the scales for us in the next few months to where we're pushing more wholesale and retail than we are direct to consumer.
1: And an early example that inspired me to write the Billion Dollar Creator article I was talking to Mark Sisson, who had his blog, for anyone who doesn't know, Mark's Daily Apple, like early in the paleo recipe space. And then he started Primal Kitchen basically out of his own need. He's like, hey, I want sauces that, you know, a mayonnaise, ketchup, a yeah. barbecue sauce that that match this diet and then he ended up scaling that and, and eventually selling to craft for 200 million i think it was a lot oh, <laughs> you bold. know and the blog was absolutely yeah. crucial to that and, and he asked the question that i love of if i have this audience and this attention what's the highest like i can point it at anything what's the right. highest roi and he, he decided like yeah i can keep making you know one to three million dollars a year as a content creator which as we've already established is insane
0: it's still significant <laughs> yeah. and insane and ridiculous yes Yep. You
1: know, but then he's like or like i could scale this brand that's individually worth a huge amount but one thing that he did that i thought was absolutely brilliant and that, that i loved is he used his online audience a lot to give him an edge playing like the classic retail game i'm yeah. gonna get the you know the exact retailers wrong but as an example he, you know, he'd get early distribution in Whole Foods, right? And they'd be like, okay, sure. We'll try this out. Like and we'll put it on the, on the shelf in these two stores, you know, and we're running this test. And he would, of course, go into his email tool and select, you know, subscribers within 50 miles of that location and be like, Hey, we, you know, big news, we're on the shelf here. Like, please go buy it. And so of course it would sell out and whoever his rep, you know, his wholesale rep was, uh, would be like, that test went really well. Like, privately, he's like, well, of course it went well. Like, I I told them to buy it. You know, I have thousands of people on this email list uh, (laughs) within that space. But, and he was able to expand that way because he he was able to use the audience as a huge advantage because he could, like, have this army of people doing it. I'm curious for you, are there any times that, in this, that, like, the audience has turned into this unfair advantage to, like, to bridge the gap? You've been able to leverage the the online side in a big way.
0: We've seen it a lot in several spaces. And it's been interesting how it has come to be. In some circumstances, we've picked up new retail partners by having our audience and our fan base go to the store owners and be like, you need to have this here. Here's the website. Shoot them an email. Like this is this needs to happen. Because I want to just come in here and buy it and you guys don't have it. So we've picked up a ton of retail partners just by online fans going in and (laughs) saying, I'm sick of paying shipping. No, it it happened organically. I will tell you, we have not done a lot of dealer outreach. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of brands spend a lot of time messaging, chasing down, courting various dealers saying, you know, carry our stuff, carry our stuff, carry our stuff. Everybody's come to us thus far and it's because our audience has requested it through the store or the store owners themselves are fans right? and cook my recipes and cook my stuff. And especially like, you know, specialty grocers, their buyers are in the space. They're buying for this barbecue section of the store specifically. So they're already probably interested in barbecue and they're interested mm-hmm. in cooking. And the good news of having one of the highest traffic barbecue and grilling websites on the internet is that. When you're searching for recipes, my name comes up a lot. Right. And after a couple of exposures, you start to go, what is this place? Why am I here again? Why do I keep finding myself in this area? So a lot of, a lot of lead generation has just truly happened because people are cooking our recipes and they're managers over these specific segments.
1: I, I think just, yeah, ben, I think what's really interesting about that is that if you were to sit down with a professional in this space, who's like, I've launched you know, 14 brands over time and like product companies and all that, they would say, this is how it works, right? We, I, and I'm yeah. making this up, right? But we would sit down with the distributors and they talk to the buyers and like, here's how, and we have to convince these people and we have to be at these shows and here's how it works.
0: You go to the shows, you hire the brand reps who take a certain percentage to represent your product to all these buyers that they know and it's an old boys club and they shake each other's hands and they do their store visits once a month and they go out and get a beer. And that's how you get your new product
1: into stores. And you're, what you're saying is like, right. I understand that that's how the industry works. <laughs> Instead, how about the store owners or managers are just friends and the buyers are just fans. <laughs> and we just bypass this entire old way of doing
0: it. How about we just do it that way? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's been really fascinating. Because honestly, and this is like a testament to how little I know, I didn't know how to get retailers to carry my stuff. I didn't know the system. I didn't know the process. I just knew like a couple of barbecue store owners on my own that I had met because I shopped there and I was like, Hey, we're coming out with products. Would you guys want them? And they were like, okay. And they placed an order and we were like, cool. So I guess that's how that works. And then we kind of did that a few times until, you know, as people would message us and be like, Hey, I saw you were in this barbecue pit stop. Like, can we get your stuff? I was like, "Oh, I, sure. I guess yes. That would be lovely." Like we just had no concept at all of how it was supposed to work, so we just went with what was working and and the experiences that we had, and that has been true for us for national retail partners. Now we have like great national partners. One of my favorite stories ever of how we ended up in. If you, I don't know if you're familiar with Bucky's, it's a chain oh, yeah. throughout Texas and the South. All of our rubs and stuff are in Bucky's now. And we just happened to know the head buyer of the barbecue thing. And we didn't know that's really who he was or what he did. We just ended up at a couple of events together in the barbecue and grilling space and world. And we kind of knew him. We were on a first name basis. But really, that was he was cooking on our friend's team one time. And so like that, that's funny guy. And I had been cooking on a whole hog team in Memphis in May. I got hog injection all over my feet and my shoes. And I was supposed to be on a phone call with a brand. And so I sat down covered in hog injection. And my husband grabbed a water bottle while I'm on a work call, And he starts like washing it off of my feet before it becomes dust encrusted and attached to me as a part of my body. And this guy that we had known and we'd met a couple times, walks by, plops down next to me, takes off his shoes. Todd starts washing his feet. And it was like, they ended up in this like silly bro hug at the end. And he was like, you just washed my feet, man. And he was like, well, you put your feet out there. (laughs) And two weeks later we had a PO from Bucky's and like it, it's business the way that business used to be done. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different landscape. I feel like now with, with the creator space existing and you know, these audiences demanding product in a way that, you know, just, it just didn't exist before. So we have no idea what we're doing or why it's working, but we're just going to keep doing it because, you know, <laughs> we're moving in the right direction.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love it. And the, the landscape has just changed in so many ways. Yeah. Are there other companies that or like individual founders that you look to as inspiration of like, okay, I'm trying to copy that model either in, in, in the barbecue space or, or especially like around the web who have done this really well?
0: What's really cool about the barbecue space specifically, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, is that barbecue family, mm-hmm. I have not asked anybody for advice that has turned me down. Okay. And these are people running multiple seven figures of product sales a year at this point with the goal to grow to eight figures, nine figures, same same goals as we have. And... Nobody has ever been anything but willing to sit down and to give me the time. So there's a guy named Heath Riles, and he's absolutely phenomenal. And he has a huge sales background. So when it came to like actually talking about retail stuff, he's like, I'll tell you everything I know. There's another guy, Cosmos Q, that is prolific in the e-commerce space and the ad buying space. And he's like, yeah, let's sit down. Like, let's talk for a couple hours. And everybody's been so willing to give us that time. And... That's been super huge for us. And we, we saw the same thing in the food blogging space. Like I have a group of food blogging women that did the same thing that opened the curtain a little bit and said, you know, look back here, here's what's possible. And it was huge for me growing my food blog to that space. So yeah, I think both of those guys in the barbecue space are huge. As far as like entrepreneurs in the wider scale that I look up to, man, I feel like there's so many. I'm a, I'm a consumer of books. So if they've like written a book or an audio book, I have probably either it's sitting on my nightstand or it's in my bookshelf or like I'm constantly trying to learn. And it was initially like how to be a digital content creator, how to shoot video that doesn't suck, how to, you know, all these things. And now it's like how to build a business and how to scale a business and how to run a business. So my my reading has shifted a little bit over the years, but anyway, it's, it's, I don't know. I'm always grateful to anyone that's willing to put their knowledge down on paper and share what they've learned so that other people can kind of get their feet underneath them a little bit. Cause that's been super helpful to me.
1: Yeah. I love it. Especially when people share real numbers, like that's been such a big thing. Cause then you can find out like how, how people are going in this journey, what, what actually works. Yeah. Or, oh, there's an opportunity to sell a blog for a million dollars or build something to a million dollars a year or beyond that. Kind of the last thing that I'm curious about is, in your own goals of big, building something so much bigger, like do you get pushback from other people of like that, that's too big of a goal? I think I've gotten some, some pushback from people where they're like, why, why aren't you satisfied with <laughs> what you have? Or like I felt this idea of like, I don't know, should I even push it to that level? Even though it's core to who I am. Yeah. And so I think a lot of creators are like, I'm really happy with this and I want to grow at 10X or 100X and I think I can. But like they're, they feel really awkward talking about it. And so I'm curious how you've you've addressed that.
0: I think a lot of it is personality. So mm-hmm. some people prefer to make their moves in silence a little bit because I think it's twofold. There's less fear associated with if they don't meet it, then they didn't disappoint anybody. Right. And additionally, you don't get any kickback. You can just do what you want at your own pace and and there's no feedback. And then there are other people that I think really value. Like you said, they like knowing other people's numbers. So they like having that open dialogue and that open conversation. And so I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer that way. I think it's, you know, you, you get to choose your own comfort level. I I don't know. I've always been pretty open about where I'm going and what I want to do. One of the greatest blessings of my life has been being surrounded by people who also have big dreams and big goals. And so not only are they not shocked by what I say, they're like, oh, you can, like totally 100%. It's like when I very first, my husband, you know, was like, I think you can do it. That was like my first kind of dip in the toe in the water to see, you know, what was possible. But we did get some pushback initially when he quit his job. Like I said, he'd been in corporate accounting for a decade. That's what his licensing was in. That's what his college career was in. And his dad literally was like, are you an idiot? Like, you have to be like a real idiot (laughs) to do this. (laughs) And, you know, we've won him over, but it took my husband, like pulling out a bank statement and showing him like, this is how much she's earning. And you want me to stay in an office eight hours a day for what? (laughs) And, you know, we had to have some conversations like that, but by and large, I really do think that I have been so fortunate to be surrounded by people who share that same sense of vision and drive. One of my best friends is a food blogger and she's like, it's unlocking the boss level. Like it's just like, you know, Mario game when you were a kid. Like you beat oh, one yeah. level and it's like, we gotta beat the next level. And it's like boop, boop, boop. Like it is, it's it's gamifying the process. It's enjoying the journey. It's it's loving the work that it is and the destination. Like, why would you spend hours beating a video game? Because it's fun. Like it doesn't <laughs> have like it it almost loses that like tangible value. But the process itself is so enjoyable and unlocking that next accomplishment is so enjoyable. So that's that's kind of a real motivating factor for me. And also, I don't know, maybe it's my personality. Maybe it's the way that I say things, but very rarely do I get pushback from people on most anything because I will look you in the eye and I'll tell you this is what I'm doing But I don't know. Maybe there's just not a lot of room for people to question that. But I haven't had to deal with a lot of sexism. I haven't had to deal with a lot of misogyny. And maybe it's happening behind my back. But people aren't saying that to my face, because I don't think they'd want to see what would happen if they did. (laughs) Even though I'm like, nice. I have like a scary face. I hear it all the time, like, Oh, you're kind of intimidating. And I, I think when you know what you want, it is intimidating to people. And it does, you know, they are like, "Mm, maybe that's why I'm considered terrifyingly driven, because it's it's not common to see that drive on display and it can be a little bit like alarming to people when we're used to being told to play small or you know to be reserved and quiet and
1: I mean I I love it the <laughs> moment that you know Haley on the convert team who you've known for a while introduced us I was like oh we're going to be friends like this is <laughs> you know like just that yeah. that level of ambition and then a clear like methodical process to get there, and we don't know, you know, all the steps that it's going to take. But we no. know that like, we know the next two or three steps, and we'll learn more as as it goes. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of this, and and uh, I'm really excited to see how how you build it.
0: Hey man, me too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Where should people go to buy your products?
0: You can find us at haygrillhay.com. We have over six hundred barbecue and grilling recipes to help you cook better barbecue at home. But we also have the Grill Squad, which, like I said, is my online barbecue community. So if you're ready to take things to the next level and you want to really dive in, we have 12 different classes to help you cook better food at home. And also there's an apron when you join. We'll send you an apron with patches. And as you take the classes and pass them off and post about them in our group, we'll send you a new patch. It's like barbecue Boy Scouts. It's the funnest thing ever. I love it. And then we have our line of barbecue seasonings and sauces. And this year has been really fun. We're rolling out limited edition seasonal kits. So right now we have a ham kit for your Easter hams. We do turkey kits around Thanksgiving time. We're going to do some gift kits that are available for Mother's Day and Father's Day. And we have a wing kit that I am very excited about for like a smoke fried wing that have anyway. So lots of fun stuff happening all the time.
1: I love it. Well, Susie, thanks so much for coming on.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.